At a global level, as much as 53 million tons of electronic waste is produced every year, and only 20% of that is being recycled. The remaining 80% is either ending in landfills or being informally recycled to the detriment of the environment and the health of humans. So consumer-produced electronic waste continues to be one of the fastest-growing waste streams globally. Hi, I'm Katie Nagy-Danagy-Baxman, a corporate partner at CMS and co-founder of the Lead Hers campaign. In today's episode, I'm talking to Ruby Pillai, co-founder and CEO of iWarranty, about how warranty management is a key component in decarbonisation, the wide-reaching impacts of developing a green repair network, and how sustainability has played a part in their fundraising journey. Thank you for joining us today, Ruby. Thank you, Katie. It's really fantastic to be here today. We all use a wide range of electronic items on a day-to-day basis, and many of those are viewed as disposable or replaceable. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about iWarranty? Well, it's um, yeah, I can share a bit about my journey, uh, Katie. As you know, as we all know that um, as consumers, we love our we love our products, our phones, our gadgets. We can't live without them. That's the world we we live in. <laughs> I have to say, um, I would never have predicted that one day I would be talking about warranty management and electronic waste and connecting that to climate change. My background, similar to you, like in law, as I practice um, corporate finance law, and I, I came to focus about electronic waste crisis in an unusual way. My journey started as a consumer who missed out on a warranty claim and I was really frustrated with the process, poor customer experience, which resulted in me replacing an item. I'm not sure whether you ever had to deal with one of those um, warranty claims and whether you've been on those long phone calls repeating the same information over, over and over again to different call center representatives. Um, I really hope that didn't happen to you, but um, it's really not a pleasant experience. And uh, I know, as you know, that the the surge in electronic waste has been driven by increasing consumption rates of electronics, shorter product life cycles, and uh, scarce options for repairs. And at a global level, as much as 53 million tons of electronic waste is produced every year, and only 20% of that is being recycled. The remaining 80% is, is either ending in landfills or being informally recycled to the detriment of the environment and the health of humans. So consumer-produced electronic waste continues to be one of the fastest-growing waste streams globally. From a consumer's point of view, several factors can influence their choices around replacing an item. For example, like lack of understanding of warranty rights or accessibility of the relevant documents to make a claim, lack of knowledge about wider consumer protection laws or as such a cost of repairs are very high, difficulty accessing affordable repairs quickly, and also the frustrating long process with the claim process. So we can't stop electronic waste crisis by implementing policies that are purely focused on e-waste management and business-focused laws. And, and I believe we consumers have a role to play in this as well. As consumers, we are in a very powerful position to influence change in this space. And prevention is a form of extending useful life of products and, and proposing a solution to tackle the ever-growing electronic waste problem 
By making repairs more accessible and affordable, extending useful life of products will lead to lower production, resource usage, and carbon emissions. In short, repairing more and extending the useful life of products has compounding effect regarding, um, in, in, regarding sustainability. So I founded Iwanti to solve this problem. Iwanti's vision is to reduce electronic waste by helping consumers to repair and reuse more home appliances and electronics. We use AI machine learning to digitize warranties and automate warranty claims and simplify in and out of warranty repairs for consumers. We are working with manufacturers to solve this problem. Thanks, Ruby. Really interesting to hear about um, how my warranty started. And I think as is common with many of the founders we speak to, you know, it's come from your own personal experience of having a frustrating problem that you wanted to resolve. And I think that's always very interesting um, because there's a real passion behind there because you've been there and had that frustrating experience. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Those stats around um, the 53 million tonnes of waste and only 20% being recycled, um, you know, that's quite shocking, really. And so, you know, the environmental benefit of repairing electronic um, items is is pretty clear. But you, as you said, you know, consumers need to be responsible too. But how do you incentivize consumers to really get involved in these initiatives, um, which, you know, requires a bit of effort on their part? It's not as convenient as just going out and buying something new, is it? Very true. And it's, it's a, I would say it's a billion dollar question. That one is a fabulous question. Uh, but I don't know how whether I have the answer for that. But, um, but as you correctly like mentioned that noted that um, the environmental benefit of repairing item and using utilizing warranties are very clear. And how do we make consumers? It, it's actually one of the business challenge we as, uh, we as a startup aiming to solve. So consumers, you know, they are the central part of warranty ecosystem and they have the power to influence change in this space. And if you look at um, the you know, history of warranty management, all the solutions available, they are complex and they're time consuming. But consumers accepted that this is actually, the, you know, this is, this is it. So repairing an item is too expensive and so it's better to replace. That's actually the attitude of consumers today. But for example, uh, the time taken to repair a dishwasher or a washing machine, it, it's, it takes long time. And this is around in this industry for such a long period of time. So it's not easy to influence change, um, consumer perception or behavior quickly or instantly um, about warranty claims or repairs. Like uh, an example, like it's like an Uber or Airbnb. When they came to market, I don't think as consumers, we were comfortable or even ready to take a ride with a stranger or, or sleeping in a stranger's house in a new city. Public perception of that shared goods and services has changed substantially over the last 15 years since these companies came to market. Similarly, there needs to be a shift in the willingness of among consumers to participate using digital tools to make a claim and using community-based green repair network to access their repairs. Um, I'm optimistic here because consumers do care about sustainability. Consumers are shifting their spending towards product with ESG-related claims. For those leading companies who are at the forefront of manufacturing and selling consumer electronics, home appliances, and other gadgets, are investing in environmentally and socially responsible product features, but 
there is no, no environmentally and socially responsible post-sale product experience for consumers. And this is exactly our solution provide manufacturers and consumers. And I want to just to briefly give a bit about I want to is that we are working to solve these problems. And you know, we are constantly thinking, how do we actually you know, encourage consumers to repair more and um, use warranties? We are, we are still going through that process. We provide a very simple, sustainable, and cost-effective solution for manufacturers so they can pass the benefit to customers. So it might take another 10 to 15 years for us to become, uh, I want you to become an industry leader and to you know, be in the marketplace with consumers and manufacturers. But it's really, we are, we are working very hard on that. For an out-of-warranty repair, I want this green repair network makes repairs more accessible and more affordable for consumers. So our mission is to give consumers convenience and peace of mind through our solution. And I truly believe I want technology has a distinct advantage to become a leading force in this realization of sustainable development goals and drive innovation in this manufacturing sector and enabling more prioritization of digital channels for customers to service and warranty management and ensure a product is fully utilized. It, uh, it addresses the, the global e-based concern by promoting sustainable consumption while minimizing environmental damage. And we are yet to launch our Green Repair Network app, which is called Endless. We need to create awareness about the benefits of Green Repair Network, and it is a challenging task ahead of us. And I'm confident we will find a way to solve it. And I'm really hopeful that consumers will participate in this journey. And because I want this Green Repair Network, is a community of passionate repairers who want to make a difference. Through Green Repair Network, I want to connecting product owners repairers and manufacturers in the most convenient way to for accessible and affordable repair. And so Ruby, is the app, did you say it was a matching service between the repairers and the consumer? Explain to us how that how the app works. Yes, exactly. So the app works as a, it's a match, it's a matchmaking platform. So we secure, we curate a list, a, a, a repair network of um, certain qualified repairers to our platform, onboard them, and uh, we match them with the product category a repair request is coming from a consumer end. So there are multiple ways to reach um, consumers and consumers to, in the market. You know, there you go. It's, it's a, that's a complex part. We, we currently, we are working with manufacturers. So if manufacturers put their, our QR code into their products, so they download, if something goes wrong with the product they purchase, the, the green repair network for, through an authorized repair network will be connected through the process. And if it is an out of warranty repair, and if you are an iWarranty user, consumer user, then that product is immediately matched with a, a, a repairer who repairs that product. So it's a matchmaking platform for repairers and uh, consumers. I mean, that sounds like a fantastic idea because I think if I needed something repaired, I wouldn't know where to start in looking other than I'd probably do some kind of, you know, internet search. So, so that sounds like a, a fantastic idea. Um, what have been some of the, the kind of um, knock-on effects of setting up this uh, network? Um, you know, I, I imagine that um, there's been, you know, a lot of work that's gone into it. And um, as you said, it's been a, a complicated thing to put together. What have been some of the kind of surprising outcomes and benefits which you've seen from setting this up? Yeah, so last year, October, we started testing a beta version of um, consumer, the Green Repair Network platform. 
with repairers um, in London, Cambridge, Birmingham, and the great, sort of wider greater London area. And it was really massive support from repair communities. We onboarded all 500 repairers within five weeks, um, uh, you know, within this area. So they, they wanted a digital solution because they are, uh, they are community repairers. They are digitally disconnected. So we are bringing them all together under one platform. Traditionally, you know, if you think about it, repairs, repairs we access through, you know, in the olden days, you know, we just walk into a shop and give our device or maybe we call somebody to come and repair our dishwasher or washing machine or mobile phones. So I came from India. So normally all the corner shop, there'll be a repair. I will just walk and repair that. So it's no longer the same because in today's world, we are digital age consumers. We want everything to happen within the palm of our hands. Green Repair Network provides exactly that, the level of convenience in relation to repairs. So when we onboarded over these 500 repairs, we had to stop because there was a massive demand because we had a beta version of the platform and they onboarded and we, we have to launch what we are building at the moment to the wider market in the UK and um, and Luxembourg over the next coming months, actually. So we have, that's the brand building activities we have to do over the coming months. So a massive learning from this because I physically, myself and my team went to all these repair shops, probably around um, I don't know, 550, 600 repair shops. Um, repairers say we learned a lot that they face a lot of challenges, such as access to spare parts is a big problem. Digital rights management to restrict access to software to repair, so we so announcer which can prevent repairers from making necessary repairs. Devices are becoming sophisticated, and many repairers do not have the resources to actually or the skill set to do the repairs. So we wanted to create a structure where repair industry is it's more inclusive. At the moment, there are no women repairers there need to be more inclusive and the repairers uh, need to get more training, more structure. And also they need more benefits, actually. They are, they are low income in many areas within London and other developing countries. Um, they have you no know, job security and education for their children, their well-being, so many other things. So we wanted to um, first build the technology to simplify the workflows for them, irrespective of their skill set, because our technology will show them how to self-educate themselves, how to do some of them. So that, that will encourage more men and women to actually participate in the repair economy. So our service, it's free for repair cafes around the world. They can connect, transact, show their ecological contributions, show their availability through the, techno through the technology and simplify their business process through the through um, our um, our platform, and and also like um, you know since COVID, even countries like India where we used to always walk down and do the repairs, and there was no dishwashers and, and everything in India when I was growing up. So that has changed significantly, even in emerging economies. So it's we are in a very hyper digital society with really hyper connected humans. So that kind of the green repair network is a reflection of the society we are living in and to make making sure that uh, we provide a really convenient, affordable, sustainable solution to consumers and make the simplify this warranty and um, so warrant in warranty and out of warranty repairs for consumers. I'd never really thought about the fact that, you know, all those people who are, you know, I suppose, have almost not quite a cottage industry, but you know those those small repairers, of course, don't have 
um, you know, websites where they're, um, uh, you know, have access to all their their, their customers. As you say, if, if I had a, a a problem, I might look on the internet or I might go to a local shop. So that's really interesting that by coming on to your green repair network, you've really, um, you know, been able to support their businesses um, in accessing, you know, a, a wider pool of customers, but also um, that you've been able to he- help with educating them in terms of um, what they repair. That That's that's um, a, a brilliant kind of net bonus, I think, um, to what you're, you're doing. We definitely want to bring lots of benefit to the repair communities themselves. Yes, so, because if they're if they're not happy, then um, it doesn't work, does it? You know, it's got to be mm. um, it's got to work for everyone um, uh, in order for um, it to be successful. So I was going to move on now to talk about um, fundraising, and obviously, as a, a, a business with um, sustainability so much at the heart of of um, your story and what you're trying to do, we know that lots of investors are increasingly raising sustainability as um, an issue that they are concerned about, um, you know, that they focus on as part of their um, due diligence process. Um, some some of the investors obviously have, you know, impact funds or have um, commitments themselves to make investments in sustainable businesses. So what has your experience been of fundraising and have you seen any significant changes in focus in terms of the investors that you're talking to recently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I can say that sustainability is playing an increasingly important and um, large role in investor conversations, and it is a priority area for many investors now. Um, this is since actually like um, uh, when we participated in COP26, there was a new kind of a consciousness um, that it you know, I would like to highlight like uh, two developments I noticed actually, and I'm very um, fascinated by is that is a there's a huge recognition and acknowledgement that innovation and technology could help save our planet, and innovation needs to be inclusive. Women innovators' role in tackling climate change, climate change, and also the female empowerment and and entrepreneurship has been really massively recognized since COP26 um, um, event. So. If you want to, like, um, you know, the industry as a whole, from uh, I can say a little bit about um, our fundraising, we receive lots of positive support from female-led VCs and angel investors. In fact, like more than 90% of investors who in, was interested in, in warranty were female VCs. So, if, you know, the, what I, what I feel is that if we want to work towards net zero future and we need both men and women to be involved in this process, that means we need to, to recognize and celebrate gender equality and empowerment of women and girls in climate policy action. That means more funding needs to go into women-founded startups in tackling climate change. While you know their pledges reflect, there's a huge growing awareness about uh, this gender-responsive finance, but I feel that uh, it's still sort of falls short far behind in everything. And the awareness created more consciousness among VCs and investor community to invest in female um, founder startups. You know, probably Katie, you know that that you're probably aware that the the female founder startup receives less VC um, funding due to a variety of factors, such as like including gender bias in investment decision making, lack of female role models in venture capital, gender bias uh, based stereotypes, and fewer female founders in with the prior entrepreneurial experience. 
So now more and more female-led VCs actually in this space, and they want to invest in female-led innovation. So that's a massive change. That's massive change. So that was probably not the same before COP26. Actually, this was a massive positive transformation that happened since then. I feel that we need to um, continue to, you know, like uh, have more and more female um, VCs who are passionate to support female um, innovators in this space. So it's really important supporting women's initiative and access to resources can drive effective climate action that, you know, that because if you want to get to the net zero by 2050, we absolutely need to have more funding for female-led innovation. It's, it's really important. I think that's that's a very timely thing to say. Um, and also, I think the fact that you're seeing more female VCs being interested in your business, providing you with funding, um, that's fantastic news for us. I mean, the whole purpose of setting up our Lead Hers campaign was to try and drive more investment in female-founded businesses. Um, because obviously, as, as you, you said yourself, you know, we know that um, female-founded businesses find it harder to raise investment. It's interesting how it correlates with concerns around sustainability, isn't it? Because obviously, mm. you know, concerns about sustainability and, um, you know, try to get to net zero, the environment, you know, that's an issue for all people, regardless of your gender. But I think what's interesting is to hear you talk about, in particular, you know, that that kind of link between more diverse investment, um, more diverse VCs and supporting sustainability. I think that's quite an interesting story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think previously this type of investment, I mean, I think it was not there. I think I know in emerging economies, there are many women um, from disadvantaged communities actually had great ideas. They could have brought that innovation, which tackling climate change, but they only since COP26, there's a lot of awareness about, you know, there's a valid claim about climate change and everybody needs to do something, then you can't leave the 50% of the world's population behind. And these, they have um, innovation, they have creative solution to solve this problem. It, it needs to be not one or 10 or hundreds of startups. It has to be millions of startups can contribute to that one. So uh, there need to be a massive collective effort from male, female, all VCs in this fund, because it's not only the early phase of fundraising, it shows that you have a valid idea and credibility, but I feel that in, as you grow even to more confidence, you know, male VCs investing in female founders, that, that sends the right message to market. Say it's, you know, it's more credible, actually. I, I just feel what just female VCs investing in female um, women innovators, as you just mentioned, in climate solution. And so we, um, as we said, we we had set up Lead Hers partly to um, to support underrepresented uh, founders and to sort of drive change in in the industry, mostly to support the female founders on our Equip program, which of course you are you are one. Um, <laughs> so as a as a former lawyer, kind of moving into or having moved into the tech startup space, what skills do you find? that you're utilising from your previous roles, um, because it's very interesting to hear your own personal experience of what you've taken from your previous life and what you use now um, in your um, in your role with iWarranty. And what external resources have you found most useful when you started to build your business? 
Oh, that's a very interesting question. And I may be biased with my answers here. As you know, sir, I feel I feel lawyers make great founders, great entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm utilizing almost all my skills and knowledge um, as a lawyer, especially, you know, someone who worked um, in a corporate finance um, um, you know, area. I'm not afraid of long hours. I'm not afraid of getting knocked down by investors or a customer. I know I can get up and I'll keep going. And, and perseverance, as I think lawyers have a really good attitude for not giving in, persevering with them, you know, um, pursuing the clients um, they eventually want to get. It's a long, long journey to, um, you know, convert leads into real clients. As lawyers, we you know we are risk averse, but at the same time, in a particular, it's a great quality to have in in a, a founders because um, you we are in a really um, unknown territory. It's constantly moving. It's like sailing, so you don't know what's happening. So you have to be cautious. You have to skillfully tackle each day with a bit of a risk averse attitude. It's really positive, and investors appreciate that. <laughs> For the lawyers are great communicators, even though I'm not a litigator and my communication skills are not that great. And um, but it is really handy when it comes to pitching, and um, and conveying your visions and uh, persuading people to join your journey. And it's it's a really great skill to have. And above all, actually, I would say that all those core skills are absolutely valuable. And uh, one thing actually I found it's fantastic as a lawyer is the network we have, the social capital. So which is like, you know, your colleagues to your friends from law school to your bosses, your clients, and the relationship you build in the industry as a lawyer. And they can be a massive support network when you start. For example, CMS Kip program actually was a, it's an incredible program. It really supported and I met so many wonderful founders and so many, access a lot of resources through that and learned um, a lot over the last couple of years. So it's access to that network is really vital. Um, so that is an amazing as a lawyer that we do have that. It's a privilege, I find. So it's really good. And and we are logical, we are hardworking, and we are constantly building relationships. All of that is required to start a business, scale a business, really fabulous. So for me, I was actually actively, um, so we found startups just at the, um, towards the beginning of um, uh, COVID, so everything was remote. I actually actively participated in competitions and uh, joined University of Cambridge, um, Cambridge's uh, uh, Accelerate Cambridge. It's an accelerator program. I applied to as many accelerators as possible, free money and the network, Innovate UK. So all those networks brought significant connection. I think networking is such a vital part of entrepreneurship. Expanding your network for finding investors and also finding customers, great team members who are wanted, you know, so you're constantly that um, being part of a wide variety of community is really valuable. And so I joined a few of them, so including Europe as well as in the in the UK. So, uh, yeah, so I think networking, I think. Every skill set as a lawyer is valuable as an entrepreneur. But the, the downside of it all is that suddenly you from your well-paid salary to none at all for many years. <laughs> no secretaries and legal assistants and all the wonderful structures provided by law firm is no longer there. So it is a it's a massive transition. But um, if you're really passionate about your idea 
And uh, I think uh, when you're going after it, you you really don't feel that you you know you you miss out on anything. So that's my experience, and I feel lawyers make great entrepreneurs and and great founders. I'm not sure you've convinced me that I want yeah. to give up my job and become an entrepreneur, but um, you're certainly not the first founder who has said that you need grit um, and perseverance. I think that is quite a common theme that we hear, um, that you really need to um, have that grit and, and determination and couple that with, you know, a passion and your your passion for um, you know, uh, resolving the 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 waste problem of electronics has come through so clearly in talking to you today. So um, uh, that that's really great, and I, I'm sure that everyone who who listens to this will be able to hear that passion as well. My my final question for you is um, is is always a bit of a cheeky one, um, because we are um, always trying to encourage people to commit to what additional action they can take. Um, on top of all the other wonderful things you already do, big or small, to support underrepresented founders. So, Ruby, um, what is it that um, you might um, uh, be doing over the next few months that is going to support other founders in the tech space that are looking to to put a greater emphasis on sustainability in their business? So, um, absolutely. You know, I'm a I'm big a supporter and I'm really passionate to support underrepresented founders and I'm available and um, you know to talk to them and uh, if they you know um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn talk to me and you know we can have a call and if they want any specific questions from my experience and how to raise money or um, how to go through a challenging part of a customer acquisition or refine the pitch deck or anything you know I constantly get a lot of email from female founders on LinkedIn and I absolutely um, always passionate about doing that too. You know, I myself is underrepresented, and uh, I mean, I can't say underrepresented. I'm from a minority founder, so definitely, so definitely is a passion for me. And what I would do, for, and I, currently, what we are doing as a team at Iwarnd is that we wanted to, uh, you know, uh, use uh, services provided by underrepresented founders, uh, business owners, female uh, business owners across UK. So we are participating, participating in a number of events um, and um, events in the UK. And we are getting bakers who are in, in remote villages to, um, you know, so reaching out to tailors and repairers who are female-run businesses or, you know, so those we are actively doing that to make sure that everything we are doing has an element of um, female involvement and giving them the exposure and visibility uh, needed within, for example, Innovate UK. And they're reaching out to people saying that, hey, you, can you apply for Women in Innovation Grant? It's actually available to your business. So those are, we are actively doing that. I'm personally actively doing that. And my team is also very passionate about that. Um, so to improve that to make sure that we bring on board more women to do that and, and promote our joint businesses in and uh, you know in a very cost effective way if we have an idea and um, you want to take it further and just be bold and reach out to you know founders like myself and others and uh, and be bold it's only like a matter of getting in touch with someone and uh, they are willing to help that's my experience yeah, I'm very optimistic about that because uh, people helped me um, all the way through in the last two and a half years uh, with my journey at Iwanti. So um, 
I just ask. They say, sometimes they say no, but um, I keep asking. And um, it's 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 a matter of is this actually a, a massive collaborative and really sort of a positive spirit of sisterhood or some really collaboration among women. Um, I found actually since um, in, it's just since finding I want it, I find people always helping, willing to help. So I think that um, have, I'll be more than delighted to extend um, my time to anyone who want to reach out to me um, anytime and um, guide them through their, you know, their journey and more than happy to share my learning, <laughs> my struggles, <laughs> my network, all of that, <laughs> more than happy to. Thank you, Ruby. That's excellent. A, a fantastic offer. Um, thank you very much. And really great to hear how you are working with um, women repairers to help um, grow their businesses. I think that's, you know, some of the best help that you can provide in supporting female entrepreneurship. So that's fantastic to hear. So thank you to Ruby from iWarranty for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Katie. If you would like more information on iWarranty, then please visit iWarranty.co. If you want to hear more about CMS's startup programme Equip or the Lead Hers initiative, go to the startup section of cms.law. Thank you for listening.